I mean, if you've worked in a decile one school and a decile 10 school, you know that that learning in those environments is very different. You know, as a teacher in those environments, my job is very different. And I think the new normal uh, can coexist in all of those environments. I think we can be ambitious. And I think the new normal doesn't mean that we need to be uh, doing anything too differently. But what it does mean is that we need to think about these big picture things now. You're listening to the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log. Stories from inspiring educators, leaders, and influencers who are challenging the status quo. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With online achievements and badges for completing key tasks, My Study Series ensures students are highly engaged and motivated to learn. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 61 of the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log, where you're able to grow, learn and develop by accessing high quality PLD when you need it most. I'm your host, Carl Condoliff, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Celia Fleck. Celia, how good have these sunrises been lately? They have been just stunning. The colours are incredible and yeah, very, very beautiful way to start the day. You're on you're on the coast, so I don't think you've been getting them uh, as 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 regular as as we are over here but they are um you know really rich oranges bright oranges like i wake up and my daughter comes running in and she's like come and look at the sunrise and it's it's um it's a really really nice way to start the day yeah absolutely and we have had some beautiful sunsets as well which are quite stunning going down behind kapiti island and again all those oranges are incredible uh, see, that's what we miss out on because we're tucked in behind a hill. So, so I get the sun sunrises, you get the sunsets. I think I'd rather have the sunsets, to be honest. Today, we've got Craig Kemp on the podcast. Now, he's an edtech and digital transformation consultant, and he's also a former Kiwi, which is cool. He's got a wealth of knowledge when it comes to educational technology. And as someone who doesn't dive headfirst into technology, what were your thoughts on the episode? Uh, I guess it was... It was reassuring to to listen to kind of, I guess, the stuff behind the technology. So his pedagogy, his philosophy, um, kind of all the stuff that he uh, sees in, as enablers in terms of the job that he's doing going into schools. I also found that quite interesting just listening, um, I guess, I'm almost one of those external providers now going into schools myself. And so it was listening to somebody else, interesting listening to somebody else in that in that situation and how they um, align with other school priorities, so wider school priorities and how he was talking about technology being the tool to help schools achieve their goals. So it being really important to understand what those goals and priorities were within a school setting. Yeah, yeah. And he, he spoke a lot about one of the, the common themes that I've been seeing over the last sort of three, four episodes. And he mentioned a lot about people and you have to have the right people in your schools before you start thinking about the technology. And then that technology has to have um, 
strategic, authentic and, and purposeful meaning in the way you use it. And I think we, as educators, we often forget and we're very quick uh, to pick up a device or, or pick up an application and think it's not going to save um, education or, or do this big, wonderful, amazing thing, but we just don't ground that in really good pedagogy. I think that's one good takeaway for me. And another thing I really liked in the episode, because I, you know, tech educational technology to me is something that I value and it's something that I've spent a lot of time kind of in that realm. But he, he talked um, a lot about, we, we talked a lot about this new norm and this idea of post-COVID world and the new norm and the role technology is going to play. And at one point we had a really good discussion around, you know, what a new norm for a decile one versus a decile 10 school is going to look like. And I had been feeling a little bit disheartened about that, seeing some of the schools come out post-COVID and really it's just status quo, you know, the same thing. There's not many changes happening in a lot of the schools that I'm seeing, but um, Craig really, I guess, kind of presented this in a way that made a lot of sense to me in terms of where we should be um, aiming for, what we should be thinking about across the next five years. And, you know, in, in reality, we are going to need to be embracing technology more and thinking about this this new norm. But um, I asked, was it too ambitious? And, and he didn't think so. And so for me, that was really reassuring. What was one of your key takeaways from it? Um, yeah, I agree. I picked up the invest in people um, comment and just think that that's so important. So that was a takeaway. And then I guess another... Um, thing that I was left thinking about was that equity issue which again kind of ties into that new norm um, and how do we then um, make sure that there is that equitable access to devices for our young people and um, his his idea I guess in, in terms of putting that in the hands of the government, the government being um, needing to play a role there to put devices in the hands of all our young people so that's going to be um that's going to be of real importance i think moving forward is is ensuring that there is that equitable access yeah i think that's really important and it was fascinating to hear what singapore government were doing in terms of opening up that access and and those targets around devices in every kid's hand so i guess watch the space with the direction that new zealand's heading and how we come out of you know covid and, and what the elections turn up for us. I think it's gonna be a really interesting time, but let's jump straight into the episode uh, with Craig Kemp. Craig, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Hey, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your teaching background? Uh, and I know you're a Kiwi, which is, which is fantastic, and your current role in education? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've been in Singapore now for eight and a half years, uh, originally from New Zealand. I'm a Nelson boy, born and bred, uh, lived in Dunedin for uh, about eight years, uh, teaching in Dunedin. I'm a primary trained uh, teacher from Christchurch College of Education or Canterbury University um, with a postgraduate diploma from Massey University. Um, I taught in Dunedin at a primary school called Grant Sprays School, um, beautiful place up on a hill, um, overlooking Dunedin for seven and a half years and then uh, decided to move to Singapore where I taught in a small Australian school um, here 
and then moved into a, a role that uh, I was in for the last four and a half years as a director of technology and innovation at a large school here, 3,200 students, uh, 500 teachers and staff. Um, and my role was to work with everyone. Uh, I had a team of five that supported the authentic and purposeful integration of technology into classrooms um, and development of strategy and policies and everything in between with professional learning as well. And um, about 12 months ago now, I decided to leave the school, uh, leave the classroom and take on my own journey and my own role and set up my own company, Ignite EdTech, which sees me working with schools from all over the world um, and working with EdTech companies to help them grow and develop um, and working with schools and anything to do with educational technology and technology integration around strategy, policies, procedures, et cetera. So it keeps me busy um, and, and I love it. Yeah, how did, how, did you, how did you come to that decision to leave? You know, we're, we're chatting beforehand and, um, you know, I, I, I own a company as well and it, it's sort of on, it's on my mind every now and then, but, I, you know, I'm still a little bit uh, fearful to pull the, pull the trigger on leaving education. I'm not even sure I want to, but how did you get around to making that decision to leave? Yeah, it's a, always a tricky one, sort of playing in my mind for the last three or four years, uh, a few things, you know, uh, I've got a young family, I've got a two-year-old and a six-year-old and, you know, quality of life when you're in a school sometimes is not as great. I mean, I was arriving at school at seven in the morning, getting home at 5.30 at night um, and then working at nights as well, just like every other teacher or educator does. Uh, and it just didn't seem fair on myself or my family that I missed out on so much. So I needed to change that. Uh, and I, I felt that in my professional life, I was doing um, the, the role of an external consultant within my school, and I wanted to be able to support more people. So that journey really started in me really making that big call. I think my wife had a hand in it as well, sort of said, uh, you've got to make a decision here. You're using your holidays, using your time to do your business and, and start things up. But you know, it's, it means less time with us and less time with the, the kids. So we really needed to make a decision and it's the best decision I've ever made. It's, uh, it's a hard one and a tricky one, you know, moving from a, 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 particularly from a financial perspective, a salary that, you know, is coming in every, every week and every month uh, to a, an up and down salary. I don't know what I'm going to earn this week or next month. And, you know, it's, it's all about developing and creating a business, but the best part about it is that I'm my own boss. If I want to work, I work. And if I don't want to work, I don't work. And it's um, it's been one of the best moves from a well-being perspective that I could have made. I'm still very much in touch with the scene in education. I'm very much not, a, I guess, a typical consultant that as a teacher I used to look at and go, oh, they're so far removed from the real world. Uh, I'm actually far more involved in the day-to-day -day running of schools than I ever was before. Uh, I know multiple curriculums, multiple um, development ideas within different countries all around the world. I work in with schools and companies across about 14 different countries at the moment. Uh, and it's exciting to learn and grow it each day. And, and I love that decision. I love how you framed it with family first. And then also you, you mentioned being able to scale and reach more people. And I think that's as, as educators, I think we sit there and, and we go through the motions and we reach, you know, 150 kids a week, but there's so much power in being able to scale that up and think about a bigger picture and how you and your role and your experience and your expertise is now able to reach 
you know, potentially hundreds and thousands of, of kids. And I think that's really special and, and um, you know, a big pat on the back on for you being able to step away and do that. It's been a couple of 12 months, I think you mentioned. How has COVID impacted things for you this year in that role? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, 12 months ago, you know, the school year here in Singapore and in international schools runs August to June. Uh, so a typical Northern Hemisphere school year. So I left in June um, of 2019 and officially kicked off the business and did a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, I was the first six months of the business, the last half of 2019, I was um, in 12 different countries. I worked in about 45 different schools um, from Australia to Spain to um, China, you name it, I was there and, you know, speaking, running workshops, helping schools with strategy development and, um, 2020 has been a, a huge change for everyone. I mean, Singapore was one of the first countries to be affected by COVID. Um, and I mean, we've been pretty much in lockdown here or significantly changed new normal since about February. Um, and since January, it's really affected the business, but I sort of like to think of it in a, in a positive way. You know, I'm still extremely busy, if not more busy now than before. Uh, I think it's opened up people's eyes to the need of what educational technology can provide uh, and how technology can support and aid in um, every part of our learning journey and the learning journey of students and parents as well. So I'm doing a lot of strategy work with schools. So Ignite EdTech has, as a, a business for myself, has really developed into being moving away from, you know, speaking and workshops and moving more into the the supporting schools be more strategic, authentic, and purposeful about how and why they use technology and really helping them develop policies, procedures, and strategic plans around doing that really well. Um, and, and beside that as well, I've also started supporting ed tech companies uh, in the way that they develop and grow their business and how they can attract schools more. Uh, my last role as an ed tech director put me face to face with companies pushing and prodding me for their products uh, each and every day. And 99% of them I pushed away because they really didn't understand how schools work. So I really want to help companies be more authentic about how they can help solve schools and teachers problems. And that's a lot of the work that I'm doing now. So, I mean, for me, COVID has, has shaken things up a bit. It's helped me understand my new normal and, and what the new normal is going to be for schools and for teachers across the world. And uh, as I learn and grow and develop, the world sort of follows suit as well. And I think it's an exciting time for educational technology, ed tech companies, teachers that use technology authentically and purposefully to add value to student learning. Um, and it's, it's been an, an interesting one. I, I said to a school the other day in a, a workshop I was running virtually that, you know, it's a, a great time to be a teacher because for the last few months, parents have had these kids in their household and the true value of being a professional as a teacher parents now understand just how hard we work. And I think that's one of the big upsides for me coming from a teaching background. Yeah, and you, I like how you mentioned, you know, you talked about opportunity and if, if we as educators can see the good things that can come out of COVID, then at, at the end of all of this, whatever that might look like, it can only be positive for education and for teachers and, and, and the way we engage with our students. So that's, that's really nice. I'm keen to frame our chat here around schools go about making meaningful change. And I've, I've seen through your social media that um, one of your roles, you could be described as a digital transformation consultant. Can you describe what that might look like? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that schools uh, need at the moment and a lot of the work that I've been doing uh, is around developing st strategy for the future. So schools have been thrown into the deep end here with COVID and virtual learning and, you know, virtual learning and what's been happening really makes up 25, 30% of the way schools can use technology to be more authentic and purposeful. And I think one of my biggest messages is we don't need to use more technology. We just need to use technology more authentically and purposefully to add value to learning. And that's not just student learning, but teacher learning and parent learning and that whole process. So as a digital transformation consultant, I love to support schools in developing that strategy. So that means making sure that policies and procedures are in place. Uh, I do something that I call a human resources audit, which means talking to the people about how they use technology and how they want to use technology. You know, identifying the skill set and the level of ability and making sure that we can create and establish a plan to grow that over time. And I like to sort of frame it around a, a three to five year time frame. So the strategy work I do in this transformation phase is let's look at now and develop short term goals. But the bigger picture here is, is not about what we can achieve in the next three to six months, but what we can achieve in the next three to five years. So let's look at those midterm and long term goals align them with school strategic plans and make sure they're actually growing and developing this. And how does technology fit to help you achieve these goals? You know, it's, it's the whole idea of we use a pencil or a pen to write and record things. And then technology is not a, any different to that. It's a tool that can help add value to the learning process. So where does that fit in? So, I mean, I, I'm just working with a school here in Singapore right now that opens its doors in August, a brand new school, North London Collegiate is the name of the school. And we, I've been working with them for the last eight months on this whole process from, you know, developing the hardware and software goals and aims all the way through to policies, procedures, and now the rollout of these apps and devices that are going to support student learning when they start school in three weeks time. So it's that whole journey from beginning to end, no matter where schools are on that journey, I come in and I help them develop that journey and help them really guide and grow and build capacity within their team because my job isn't to be there holding their hands forever. I want to be able to build capacity so that they can continue to grow and, and adapt and change and, and move forward without my assistance too. And this is obviously really timely. You know, schools in the Northern Hemisphere, as you mentioned, are about to reopen and, and Southern Hemisphere schools are about to move into some really big planning phases for the following years. What steps do you see a school go through before they decide they that change really needs to happen? Yeah, I think, I mean, the first phase is really um, the struggle. I see schools, teachers struggling to the point where, you know, I've got a few friends and colleagues and connections that are just done. I'm not going to teach anymore. This is just, it's, it's too hard. I'm working too much and it's not good for my mental well-being or my health. So, I think it's that struggle, whether it's a personal struggle or a school struggle. Um, and by struggle, I mean pushing through the change, pushing through the difference, um, pushing through that new normal. And really, I think the next step after that from schools is that confidence level to say, hey, we haven't done this well. We haven't done a good job. Things are not where they should be. Can you help us? So it's that first step that I always find the hardest is the second step is asking for help. My job as an external consultant is to help schools grow, develop, 
especially around the ideas and themes of technology and technology integration and ICT. So it's that, that step of saying, hey, Craig, we need your help. Ignite EdTech, come and help us grow and move and develop. And I'm not the only one doing this, but a lot of experience in doing it. And I love what I do, but there's people wherever you are to help you do that. But it just takes you asking and wanting to help people move and grow. And I think the the next best thing, and I, I have a podcast, it's called the EdTech Chat Podcast. And uh, for the last few weeks, I've been talking about this whole journey and, and the strategy that goes into this. And I think one of the, the key points I talk about is asking questions and you know saying when things are not right and opening up to your teachers and your colleagues and saying, hey, what do we want this to be? How can we make it different? Because we're in this unique position where we can create the new normal. The new normal isn't going to be made by anyone else but us. So as teachers and as ed tech and professionals and leaders in the world of education, it's our job to make this new normal a reality. So now is the perfect time to jump up and do that, invest money in making sure you do it right. Don't invest in tools and technology, invest in your people. It's important that schools have people supporting this to make sure that they can grow and develop. I like that, and and I think what you talked a lot about, and when you're when you're answering that just then, was the the need to to be vulnerable as schools, as school leaders, as teachers, to be able to admit when things are hard, when things are a struggle, or when you know that there needs to be change. And so, would you say that that's something that's did I interpret that right? That you think that's something that's valuable, and when people can do that, and schools can do that, it's much easier to move forward. Absolutely. And I think it's it's one of the things that we struggle with. I think we're, we're often very proud of what we've done and especially as leaders in schools, mm. you know, our job is to help change and grow schools and move them towards, you know, those strategic goals, strategic intents. But sometimes we just need the best thing we can do as leaders is be vulnerable and say, hey, we, we don't know what to do here or hey, we need your help and please come and help us. Um, we need to move and grow, but I think that vulnerability is something that we really lack in education and really asking for help when we need it. It's okay to not know. You know, we tell our kids every day, it's okay to make mistakes, take risks, but we never do that as a profession. So I think it's really important that that we do do that, especially in these times when we have this unique opportunity to create that new normal. Mm. What do, you, what do you see schools do well during a process of change, whether that's, you know, a culture change or using technology better or, or simply trying to challenge their status quo a little bit? What, what, what are schools doing well that you see? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's very context specific. So each school does things very differently. But, you know, a couple of case studies that I'm really working with right now, I think the schools are really investing in people. And that's one thing I think schools are doing well. I don't think that's a blanket thing that's happening everywhere around the world, but the couple of schools that I'm working with have really identified that, you know, people are going to make this be successful and that's where their investment is going. So making sure that they bring the right people in to help with the right things. And that's a really exciting thing to see. I think the other thing is that, that schools are willing to ask for help. Um, and especially here in Asia, I'm starting to see a trend with schools really, really wanting external help and knowing that they can't do it all alone. So North London Collegiate that I talked about before as a case study is a school that's you know, very well known globally and they have schools all over the world and they're opening a new school here in Singapore 
and the staff don't have experience in this area and the leadership team don't have experience in rolling out device programs and, and technology integration into the systems and choosing the right systems and tools for their needs. So they asked for help and, and as a result, they're being extremely successful because they can invest their time and energy into other things. And my job is to make sure that they're successful in this area. And it's, I think from as far as I'm concerned, what I can see coming out of that is they're far more ahead of the game. They're far more confident in what they're doing and their ability to move forward. I think one last thing for me is that an interesting thing with COVID is that teachers have had more time to themselves. It doesn't mean that they've been any less busy, but they've been in an environment where they don't necessarily have kids and other people around them as much. So they've actually invested in their own learning and they've connected and engaged in different ways. So, I mean, I'm connected with 45,000 people all over the world on Twitter, and that continues to grow with new people joining every day where they're learning and growing from each other. And that's just one place where I'm seeing people, more people come to and grow from. And I think that self-learning drive is something that we really need to focus on in the future for us to grow and adapt as a profession. We need to invest time in ourselves because people aren't going to give it to us on a silver platter. So it's really exciting to see that trend starting to come through as well. Yeah, I, I, I like you mentioned people and, you know, a couple of weeks ago, well, by the time this goes live, a few weeks ago, we interviewed Gregor Fountain, who's the, the principal at Wellington College. And the, the theme through that episode, which was all about leadership, was just people, 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 surrounding yourself by good people, trusting people, um, recognising where expertise sits and embracing that and giving those people responsibilities. And I think when a school can do that and do that well and do that uh, in, in a way that um, is real, then schools are going to be successful and you know, learning outcomes are going to be better and you just gonna, it's going to be a better place to work. You know, I often see schools these days that um, they, they don't value people and they're looking at sort of, it's like a finite approach to education, looking at results and outcomes and, and that's all. But you, you know more than anybody that a school, their school culture, how a school operates, those are the foundational things within a school that is going to lead to better outcomes in the end, regardless for students. On, on the flip side, what are the shortcomings you see when schools go down this path? Because obviously you see a bit of that as well, where schools might, you know, bring you in, bring you in with your expertise to, to look at what they're doing, but no matter what you do, you just battle with them. So what sort of things are you seeing there? Yeah, it's a... Again, it's a funny one because it's quite context specific. And uh, but as a trend, one of the things really is uh, around. I've probably got three things actually. One of them being policies and procedures. You know, like thinking that you've got it right. Um, as far as things like social media policies, you know, uh, acceptable user agreements for devices and. You know, one of the things that I, a unique perspective I get is I get to see what schools all over the world are doing and, and how they're changing and adapting and growing. And schools often live within the silo of their school. And one of the things I hear all the time is this is the way we've always done things. And I think that's probably one of the most dangerous phrases in education is that, you know, like it's not okay to be doing the same thing that we've always done just because it was successful for the last three or four years or 20 years doesn't mean that that's what our kids and our parents need moving forward to, to grow and to be successful. I think one of the other things that schools really struggle with is purchasing of tools and resources. I think often schools go, right, we're going to buy a set of, I just spoke to a school literally an hour ago, 
um, and the principal said to me, oh, we're doing a great job with our technology and, and what we're doing with technology. We just bought a VR kit and, and that's going to change the way we integrate technology. And while technology like that exists and it's often really positive and it's great, and I've seen exceptional case studies and use studies of them, uh, VR headsets, but you know, when a school goes in with a mindset like that, where it's all about the tool and not about the learning journey, then it ultimately leads to failure. And one of the things that schools struggle with all the time is purchasing of resources and following the next big thing. And I think if schools can hold off and really put a strategy plan in place, then those sorts of things don't need to happen. You don't need to spend money on things that are not going to significantly impact learning. So, you know, a lot of the work that I do with schools with the strategy is let's budget and let's talk about what are the things we want to have? What are the things we need to have? And what are the things that, you know, would be nice to have, but, Let's talk about people first. How can the people in our building actually support the development of these tools to be successful in adding value to learning? You know, I say to people all the time in the workshops I run is they say to me, what's the, the best hardware I should buy? Should I get an iPad or a Surface or a, a laptop or a desktop computer? And I say, it doesn't actually matter. You know, like whatever you get, it doesn't matter because if you put the technology in front of the learning or you don't have a, a justification or a why, then you shouldn't be using it at all. You know, I've seen the most amazing learning happen on iPads, but I've also seen the most amazing learning happen with a piece of paper and a pencil. So if you can't justify the use of the technology that's going to significantly improve and impact learning above and beyond what they could do before, then you shouldn't be using it. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people struggle to to really, um, you know, frame the use of technology in good pedagogy. And and if you don't have that underlying pedagogy and the way you use it and the way you implement it, then it's, it's just not going to be successful, like you mentioned. Also, like that you talked about journey. I think people need to view um, education and and bringing in some of that strategy as a journey. You know, you're not going to bring in one tool or one approach or, or one system, and it's not going to change everything for you but you need to view it as that journey and and here's a first step and, and here's another goal that we might be working towards and when you can see that bigger picture i think you're more likely to see those results that everybody's after but there's i don't think there's any well there's definitely no quick fix to, to any of this really is there no not at all no. so thinking slightly long term here and and you've probably got some really good opinions on this how do you think COVID shapes education moving forward i'm, I'm talking five to ten years yeah, I think, as I mentioned earlier on, I think that this COVID has thrown up a whole bunch of stuff that we don't like. It's forced us to do things differently than we've ever done things before. And it's forced us to create or be involved in what the new normal is. And, you know, here in Singapore is very different to New Zealand and Australia and, you know, France and England. But one of the unique things about education is and that I've learned over the, the past few years and the work that I've done with schools all over the world is that no matter where you are, teaching and learning is the same. You know, the New Zealand curriculum in essence is very similar to the Singapore curriculum, which is very similar to the IB framework, you know, the, the English national curriculum. When you look at the wording, there's very few things, there's some nuances, a few bits and pieces that are different, but we're all teaching the same stuff, um, just using some different language and different approaches to learning. But 
one of the things that I think we're in this unique position of now that COVID has really given us, and I think if we can frame things a little bit more positively around this, is that we're in a position where we can create this new normal. What is education 8.0 or whatever we want to call it going to look like post-COVID? And I think you pointed out as well, not next year, not the year after, but what about three to five years from now? What do we actually want education to look like? What is a school going to look like? And, you know, for years, people have said, uh, have predicted what a classroom, what a school is going to look like, but never have we had an opportunity to actually do it and make it happen. And what I want to see is more leaders stepping up to that and going, this is what we're going to do. Our teachers struggled with this. Our teachers loved this. Our students hated this. Our students loved this. The most learning happened here. We're going to change school to fit these needs, you know, like schools all around the world have started adapting and changing their secondary school to allow secondary students to come in a little bit later or adapt their schedules or choose the way they learn. There's no reason why we can't do that on a mass scale now to make sure that education is what we want it to be for the future. So that means technology. How do we use it and how can it significantly impact learning? Some companies that I work with, like Firefly Learning, have adapted and changed their, their system, which was originally in a learning management system, to be much more than that and to focus now on communication and collaboration tools as well because that's what teachers are asking for. So we need to do more listening, but most importantly, we need to have more action. So one of the things that I can see significantly changing is you know, and I've talked about it a lot, but an investment in people to support the way we use technology in our schools. So, you know, in, in international schools, it's really common to have ed tech coaches or ICT coaches that support and help schools grow. Globally, not so much the case. What I'd like to see is schools really adapting and making sure that they invest in people that are not necessarily knowledgeable, but willing to learn and grow and help other people learn and grow. You know, that whole coaching mentality. As a teacher, we should all be wanting to grow and develop. And too many schools let teachers sit there for so long that they're not really providing the same sort of level of expectation with their teaching and learning that they probably did 10, 20 years ago. And one of the trends I'm seeing coming out of teachers' college is the same thing, that, that new teachers are coming out thinking they know everything. And then when they're thrown in the deep end, really what they know is, is pretty limited because experience really pays for everything, you know? So it's an interesting one. I think there's going to be a lot of change, but I think we need leaders to step up now and we need people to actually take action to create this new normal. I, I think your your term taking action is is really important. And, you know, a new normal is something that's been thrown around quite a bit, but do you feel that might be too ambitious? I'm thinking like a, a decile one school in South Auckland and we're talking about the new normal when they're just trying to get kids through the doors. Do you think new normal is too ambitious or do you think it's something that we should be striving for? Yeah, I think it's I think it should be something we're striving for, but I totally get that. I mean, I work with both private and public schools and I've come from a background where I've worked in decile one schools all the way up to decile ten schools. And I mean, if you've worked in a decile one school and a decile ten school, you know that that learning in those environments is very different. You know, as a teacher in those environments, my job is very different. And I think the new normal uh, can coexist in all of those environments. I think we can be ambitious. And I think the new normal doesn't mean that we need to be uh, doing anything too differently. But what it does mean is that 
we need to think about these big picture things now. So the perfect example is what you mentioned is a, the difference between a decile one and a decile 10 school when it comes to technology is equitable access to devices. And for me, the new normal means that the government needs to step up in countries all over the world and needs to give our kids access to devices no matter what income bracket they come from. Parents should not be expected to pay for these devices if it is going to significantly impact their learning. If we want to move towards this new normal, uh, in a country like New Zealand, for example, the New Zealand government need to say, we are going to put devices in the hands of every kid. One of the things that's happening here in Singapore is um, the original plan was by 2023, all grades seven and up, so secondary school students, so in New Zealand, I mean, intermediate and up is, are going to have access to a device that since COVID, they've said by the end of 2021, every single student above the age of 12 will have a device provided by the Singapore government to support them in their learning. That is equitable access to devices. That's an investment in the future of education. With that, of course, comes the need for professional learning and the development of our people. But what a start. I mean, we can't help and hold hands and support putting foods on table, food on tables and, you know, helping kids with shoes and clothing. And there's all sorts of organizations and things that can help with that. That's not my area of expertise, but, you know, those are areas that of need as well. And I think in the past, governments have done a great job at, at supporting in those areas with food in schools and lunches in schools and those sorts of things. But what about the next five to 10 years where technology is adapting and changing so fast? This is becoming the same sort of need, I think. So I think when we think about the new normal, I think we also have to think context specific. And it's a, it's a great question, a great point you made because every school is different and we can't expect every school's new normal to be the same but we can put in place some strategies and policies and procedures to help schools move and adapt and grow in those ways. And I think that equitable access to devices is just one of those things. I think you answered that really well. I think that was great. And and you touched on a point really that in five years time, if, if you don't have access to technology, then you're going to be, you're going to be in a really challenging place in education. So, um, yeah, I, I like what you had to say there. Hey, before we get to the last question, is there anything I might've missed that you want to mention or is there anything you want to ask me? Uh, not at all, mate. I think, um, th there's probably for me, it's, you know, if, if people want to learn a little bit more about what I do and, and how I work, you can, you can check that out and, I'm sure you'll share links to those as well, but Ignite EdTech and the EdTech Chat podcast, I'm always open and willing to, to chat and engage and people can find me on social media networks at Mr. Kemp NZ. Um, and I'm always happy to answer people's questions. I think um, one question I guess for you is, you know, what's happening in your part of the world and in New Zealand and that you see um, that people need to, to look at and help change and grow what's the new normal that you see happening there i think it's it's a it's a really good question and it's i think the change that we're seeing in new zealand is is a fascinating one i think you know covid and and new zealand going into lockdown has been really positive and you, we talked about new normal and, and you know i can see teachers just sitting there ready to make the jump but just they're so hesitant and then there is all of that policy and there's school leaders who can be barriers at times and it's almost as if we need we need post-covid we need another perfect storm to come in and just give everybody that push and that shove to make that jump because 
we, we're so close. And that's why I asked you that question, whether it was too ambitious, because I feel very similar to you in terms of the technology and the role it plays in the next five to 10 years. But uh, I fear for uh, education in New Zealand. And I, I guess one good thing that we're doing is we, we have our communities of learning at the moment. We have people collaborating and networking and learning from one another. And that's a really good start. But I think we need to be thinking bigger picture. We need to be thinking longer term. We need to be looking at the role education can play and needs to play and will play in the next five to 10 years. And if we can start thinking about that and start stepping outside of our comfort zone and taking risks and failing forward and being vulnerable and asking for help, like all the things that you've talked about during this episode, then we're going to be in a much better position. So maybe too ambitious is is uh is not the right way to frame it um i think we should be setting our goals high and, and doing everything we can to get there and i think you know we go back and i listen to this again later um i think you would have touched on that all throughout this episode so you know i really do appreciate that but this this last question i have for you um you know you're you've been overseas for a while now and you've got this massive presence online and and you know i'll share all those links and, and you do a really good job of engaging with educators but do you ever see yourself coming back to new zealand to teach or or consult or step into leadership even <laughs> yeah it's something that i've been asked quite a lot and it's uh it's something that you know when we moved over here my wife and i we came over just with us and you know, we thought we'd be away for two years, we'd live the expat dream and we'd come back, but um, things change, you know, kids happen. I've got a six-year-old and a two-year-old now and um, life is good here. We live a, a very privileged life. Um, I have the opportunity to work with schools all over the world. Um, we love to travel. So uh, the ability to be able to travel all across Asia which have, uh, and the world, which of course is <laughs> on hold a little bit now, but we've been extremely lucky that we've been able to do that over the past eight years. Um, New Zealand is though always home. Both of our families live there. Both of our sets of parents are in Nelson and Christchurch. So we come back every year. Will we ever live in New Zealand again? Um, the dream is to. Um, you know, I'd love to bring my girls back to to go to a New Zealand public school and and live the life that I lived as a as a student and a, a kid growing up in New Zealand that they don't really get here. The reality, though, is um, honestly, the workforce for me and the opportunities for me aren't as 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 high level as I can get right now um globally and around the world but you know what covid has changed that a little bit i can do a lot more online now do i need to be in a location like singapore to better work with schools all over the world not necessarily um would i like to have a quarter acre section and a, and a house to myself and you know family close by and live in that true kiwi lifestyle hell yeah i would and i think um, from a, a personal life point of view i think it's it's definitely creeped up since COVID-19 on us. And I think it's something we will consider over the coming years. Um, will I work with schools in New Zealand? Absolutely. I mean, I can do that from anywhere and it doesn't mean I need to be there necessarily. Uh, will I come back and work in a leadership role in a school? In all honesty, probably not. Will I come back and support large groups of schools or ministries or governments to make change? Absolutely. Um, so, I don't know if that necessarily answers the question. I think for us, it's um, a bit of an unknown at the moment, but you know, home is where the heart is. And for us, that's New Zealand. And 
I think we'll always consider it home. My two girls have never lived in New Zealand. They've been born here in Singapore, but they still consider New Zealand home and both grandparents are there. So we'll be back and I'm sure we'll see people around. And if there's ever opportunities to work and support in New Zealand, it would be a top priority for me to be able to do that. Excellent. Hey, Greg, I just want to, um, you know, thank you for taking the time out to chat. You know, you're a real, you're a world authority actually on, on technology and education and just hearing you talk is really exciting and it makes me passionate about the technology as well. Um, you know, we, we've seen some big changes over the last few months and you're putting yourself in a position to really support others, which is what, which is what I like to see. So thank you for taking the time. All the best with the coming months and you know, you've been out of education teaching now for, for 12 months. So I hope the rest of the year and further years go really well for you in those roles. So once again, thank you, mate. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure.